0: This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Lights Podcast. Um, we have an insanely long interview this week with one of my best friends in the world, uh, who was also the best man at my wedding, so we're going to skip the intro. Uh, we have a great next Music Corner. Uh, we have a wonderful interview. Uh, but first up, uh, a reading of Liz Cook's recent review of a local restaurant from our friend Jason at Stolen Dress Entertainment.
1: Here you go. Wagwan's culinary cross-pollination will leave you speechless. Carve out time for Tanyek Tan Yarbrough's one-woman show by Liz Cook. There's this line from Act 2, Scene 3 of A Midsummer Night's Dream. You'll probably recognize it even if you've never seen the show. And though she be but little, she is fierce. Sixteen-month-old Wagwan presents a similar sentiment in the form of a Jamaican Patois phrase painted in round letters on the wall. We lickle, but we tallahwa. The Jamaican-Nigerian spot embodies the contradiction. Wagwan, in Patois, what's up? is small and casual, with an ambitious menu of large-format entrees that rarely miss the mark. Chef founder Tanyak Tan Yarbrough is an outsized presence too, though that may just be the hats. Every time I entered the restaurant, she was wearing a different one, a black top hat with a patterned band, a beige Stetson, a Pharrell-style mountain hat. She looked natural in all of them. Talawa Energy. She wears just as many metaphorical hats. Wagwan has a small staff, but on weekdays it's not unusual to see Tan working alone. On one visit, she took my order, Escovitch Fish, at the corrugated aluminum counter, whisked back into the kitchen to prepare it, ran out the food, and bust the table all on her own. If she was stressed balancing the steady trickle of diners that afternoon, she didn't show it. She slipped in and out of each roll with a chameleon's native ease. The one-woman show means meals can be a bit slower-paced, depending on what and when you order. My Escovitch Fish, 1895, took about 30 minutes to arrive and was worth the wait. The whole fried red snapper came out sweet and succulent, with an exclamation point where the vinegar-sparked bell peppers and onions kissed its skin. Still, I wanted a bolder, heavier-handed sauce, with a few more scotch bonnets in the pickle mix. The version I tried was very mild. On a weekday dinner visit, Tan was again working the kitchen alone, and the food again was a bit slow out of the kitchen. This is less of a complaint than a warning for the time strapped. Model your visit after the oxtail, 2095, which has been slow-braised until it's so tender it'll fall off the bone at a wilting remark. The meat is sticky and rich, balanced by a heap of comforting rice and peas, red kidney beans. Or take a cue from a slangy Nigerian proverb painted on the wall. Cow way day in a hurry to go to America, go come back as corned beef, meaning just be patient. Let the game come to you. Tan and her family have built a dining room you don't mind dawdling in. The restaurant, part of a small strip of businesses at 63rd and is small but lively, with mustard-colored walls and bright-printed fabrics on the tables and chairs. Tall plants divide the dining room into sections, creating privacy for tables while preserving a communal feel. Most days, a large-screen TV plays buoyant music videos from Afrobeat artists like Burna Boy and Kitty. Wagwan's casual vibe, counter-ordering, and hours, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. most days, feel tailor-made for the lunch crowd. But the sprawling menu doesn't quite match that tone. Most entrees are larger and pricier, with few options for those looking for a quick light bite, even the jerk chicken, 14.95, feels a little formal, plated with a mound of rice and peas, steamed cabbage, and chubby coins of plantain. The menu warns that the chicken is spicy. However, the mahogany spice paste on my bird was warming but mild. The Jamaican beef patties, 2.95, come closest to bridging the lunch-dinner gap. The flat turmeric yellow hand pies are pre-made and kept warm in a case behind the counter for easy access. They're also delicious. With a flaky shell and saucy spicy filling for a quick snack or starter the patties are a bargain the drinks cooler behind the counter contains a small selection of top-tier jamaican sodas dng pink ting and pineapple ginger which beat american sodas in both taste and branding the dng logo features a jowly cat wearing sunglasses and swim trunks dr pepper could never but your best bet is in the unmarked carafe which contains sorel 295 a house-made slightly tannic hibiscus drink infused with ginger and cinnamon sticks Besides tasting like Christmas in July, the drink also neatly bridges the restaurant's Caribbean and Nigerian dishes. Sorrel is popular in Nigeria, too, where it's better known as Zobo. Perhaps in deference to cross-cultural pollination, you can order any entree at Wagwan, regardless of its provenance, with Nigerian jollof rice or Jamaican rice and peas. The jollof is spice-rouged and tomato savory, with green beans and carrots soft enough to melt into the rice. It's also a natural accompaniment for the lightly charred beef suya, $19.95 1995 is an entree, 295 for a single skewer. The thin-sliced steak is well-spiced in the topographical sense. Each spice is powder-coated in ground chilies and peanuts. I was excited to order the igusi, a popular Nigerian soup that can be tough to find locally. The melon seeds were ground to a soft, curdled texture and bathed in red palm oil, with a nutty richness and heady protofunk likely to appeal to natural wine nerds. But when I tried it, the broth was overly salty with tough hunks of bone and goat that needed a longer stewing. Don't write off the goat dishes based on that description. The curry goat, 1495, was silky and rich, thanks to an unexpected wash of coconut milk. Although Wagwan officially offers the curry goat only on Fridays, it doesn't hurt to ask. I snagged a portion on a Tuesday. If the menu feels a little overstuffed, the trade off is that it's also more inclusive. In addition to greatest hits from Jamaica and Nigeria, the menu also has a small section of vegetarian dishes, including veggie patties, $2.95, and rasta pasta, $9.95, peppery penne mossed with fresh thyme and Parmesan cheese. Your best bet is a honey garlic tofu, $12.95, which was a sleeper hit. Each tofu cube had a chewy crust and fluffy middle, swaddled just so in a balanced sauce that was sweet, but not cloying, glossy, but not soupy. It would be easy to phone in a dish like this. Instead, it's one of the menu's standouts. I inhaled that tofu like I'd inhaled the oxtail, picking its metaphorical bones clean. My friends did the same with their curry, goat, and beef suya. The wait had been long. The food arrived a few minutes past the restaurant's closing, but we made up for lost time. It was one of those rare meals with friends where you barely talk because the experience of eating is so loud. Done well, gluttony demands an athlete's focus. When Tan came out of the kitchen to check on us, she saw only empty plates. Oh, you guys didn't need to rush, she said. I'm just cleaning back there. I looked sheepishly at my friends. It hadn't occurred to me that we had been rushing. And
0: now, Nick's Music Corner.
2: Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Next Friday, December 17th, indie soul duo Katie Kean and The Drive releases their latest EP, Battles. For those longtime fans of guitarist and vocalist Gian and drummer Stephanie Williams, the switch from Katie Gian and the girls' blues rock to the less raucous, but no less intense, music of The Drive had to come as somewhat of a surprise a couple of years ago. But by this point, the band has developed its own following, and justifiably so. The new EP is four songs, and the middle two, because it's blue and reacting to you, are superb alt-rockers which feel like this perfect middle ground between Juliana Hatfield and Semisonic, while closing track I hate the night features a guitar solo sure to be familiar to anyone who's followed Gian over the years and nods back to the Katie Gian and the Girls Days. However, it's the opening title track and first single from Battles which holds the most emotional heft. It begins what Guillen and Williams describe as a creative story of mental health struggles through major career and relationship transitions and enduring a pandemic as a professional musician. Battles marks the first of two releases, with another EP on the way next year. But in the meantime, you can catch Katie Guillen in the Drive at the ship on Saturday, December 18th, with openers Mickey P. and the Swallowtails. For more information and details, check out facebook.com slash KG and the Drive, or katiegianmusic.com. Here's Battles.
0: And that was Nick's Music Corner. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you to Nick after the last two years for showing up every week here to bring us really, really cool stuff. Uh, Battles was a great song. Just happy to be here for it. Uh, Anyway, um, here's my friend and my hero and my co-writer on my book, Nathan. Nathan, my dearest yes. of friends. Oh, my goodness. The best man at my wedding. How are you today? Uh, I am doing okay.
3: Oh, it's like, yeah, the, the deal. Old... <laughs> like I suggest that I may have solitary life, but the only person that I ever speak to is my therapist, and my children, my wife, uh, and my mother in law. Uh, so, I'm, usually when people ask me how I'm doing, I say, I'm doing good, but we have this whole hour for therapy, so I will go into uh, the detail and also be a little more honest and a little less of, But I'm, I'm doing uh, okay. Uh, I, would, I, just I of, would take
0: therapy from your wife. I would pay her straight up. She seems on the fucking ball. She she makes <laughs> a lot of money. Thankfully, <laughs> like, yeah, we went for this this weird dynamic
3: where for a long time, uh, because she was a teacher and a social worker and contributed to society, she made no money. Um, and then something weird happened just in this last year or so, and the fact that she contributes to society has enabled her to make a lot of money, substantially more money than me. So that's part of the reason why I hope this book does well, is I don't want my mom. Jesus well, let's step Christ. it back That was That was, that was, a, that was a very how... furious story. Like, I don't want my wife to tell me I can't write anymore.
0: Let's talk about how you contribute to society. Nathan, would you, you introduce yourself you. to the podcast audience and tell them what it is you do.
3: My name is Nathan Rabin. Uh, and for the last 25 years, I've written about popular culture. Uh, I think I spent 18 years uh, at the AV Club, uh, two years at The Dissolved, uh, the much-loved and short-lived uh, Pitchfork film website. And then for the last four years, four and a half years, going on five years, uh, I have been the proprietor of Nathan Raven's Happy Place, uh, which is kind of the main focus uh, of my life and my career and also it's kind of an incubator uh, for, i gotta um, tell you in the direction
0: just to be like hey well, what if i step back and have to explain nathan for a second
2: yeah. i did
0: stumble upon uh that your front page of google <laughs> results is a lot of people being like it's incredible he left the dissolve and i was like I to remember <laughs> that, that was a place that once mattered very very much to me but that your involvement did not matter so much to you <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, it's, 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 there are so many things in my life that I've kind of come around on, you know? Right. And it's just, it's just the, the, the past is hard because there's just so much pain. Uh, and there's just so much rejection and there's just so much bitterness and I think part of that's just working in in the field of pop culture media and Brock you have so many talents <laughs> why on earth if this you one is anything me. else would you try and do this it's a nightmare this is about your I love it I have, I have an idea it's a dream for me but I found this dream within this nightmare
0: world so uh for those of you that don't know our background um, Uh, Nathan was my writing hero for a very very long time Um, and he wrote a book called you don't know me but you don't like me wherein for several years he followed around the two cultures of music fans that are most disliked in (laughs) all of culture fish fans and insane Clown posse fans uh, and and found his place within both tribes but also within it figured out how to love his now wife and propose, but also figured out his bipolar diagnosis. And I was reading it while uh, in the hospital with a uh, significant other who was also receiving the same diagnoses. I was like, Oh shit, this is all aligning. And it was one of those uh, things that you used to be able to do on Twitter in the early 20 where you could DM someone and it wasn't crazy weird and be like, Hey, um what what you do matters to me and it's kind of nice and they could be like oh I don't think you're trying to murder me or (laughs) steal my bitcoins um maybe we become friends and over the next few years we became friends to the point that where Nathan was the best man at my wedding and we co-wrote a book together on the video game slash movie postal uh which is like uh I don't know I don't know if in the 80s or 90s there was a better version of men becoming better friends. I imagine it was something homophobic, (laughs) like touching dicks or something. And it's like, yeah, we are forever now bonded. But uh, ours was to spend several years uh, pursuing a UV Bull film uh, (laughs) as a piece of literature. Um, So you were in these very um, hierarchical, uh, like long form. Um, media outlets where you got to do everything you wanted to do, and then <laughs> at some point it sort of it stopped, stopped out of and you start because it wasn't popular enough. <laughs> wasn't popular, and then you start uh, Nathan's Happy Place, and Nathan's Happy Place is not always the happiest place, um, <laughs> but it has been just a treasure to follow. So it is where you write, and people can support financially your writing. And over the period of time that you've run this. You've written multiple books about Weird Al, uh, who is a friend and partner to you in so many ways. Um, but also, like, this has been sort of um, a, uh, a crowdsourced thing that people give money and then send <laughs> you into the pop culture minds for the absolute worst that is there. And I guess what we were talking about today is the book compendium that puts together um, some of just... and. You, reading through it uh this week um it was a reminder of how many specific days and moments i can remember reading these articles being posted and being like nathan no why would you do this to yourself? why would you do this to me to have to read it and have to process it and think it's funny or not funny or or tragic in a different way tell me about your happy moments. <laughs> Uh, Well, I mean, again, I think part of the the whole essence of this book
3: is this idea of the tremendous joy and pleasure that can be found in things that are objectively terrible, objectively the goddamn, I mean, I I watched uh, 23 episodes of the television show Shasta McNasty. You watched multiple (laughs) seasons of of Baywatch Nights. I watched two seasons of it. And again, I think there was kind of a bit of a a Stockholm Syndrome thing that kind of went on where I came to really love the first season of Baywatch Nights. And Baywatch Nights (laughs) is famous because Baywatch was a show about sexy uh, lifeguards running on the beach in slow motion, their enormous breasts uh, bouncing up and down uh, hypnotically and suggestively. Uh, And then David Hasselhoff, at one point he was he won the guinness book of world records for the most watched man on television
0: uh watched is that like by hour, hour or by
3: people or by what people is uh... all over the world because the other thing about it too is that like they baywatch was popular in the united states it was they were like the beatles in bangladesh right, know, right. They europe were, loved, loved it the in a beatles way that we in Nepal, yeah. everybody loved that they watched <laughs> anywhere else and David Hasselhoff was like, okay, I'm the richest man on television. I'm the most popular man on television. And I feel like an idiot playing second fiddle to enormous bouncing breasts in slow motion. It's time that David Hasselhoff got what David Hasselhoff wants. Uh, So he created a show and and I started talking in the book about how it was inspired by, he was spending a lot of time at the House of Blues. Uh, which was very cool in the mid-90s just as it has always been cool just it is cool now uh, so yeah I kind of had this idea of like what well, if I'm a sexy detective and I work out of a blues club owned by Lou Rawls my buddy Lou Rawls playing a very Lou Rawls type figure <laughs> and again the thing about it again I said I think that like if this was like an Adult Swim uh, production if this sure. was might occur, people like this is the greatest satire of bad television
0: ever created like right. it's
3: so funny and J- just so, to set the same thing so that
0: you knew was shit but at night and sexier exactly exactly be better I mean, yeah there's
3: just uh, they're just like i was talking about this with my therapist where they're <laughs> like part of the reason just why a great why line I was, into any part, part yes, of part well, of the reason Raven's why, why I, I love this book or maybe i was talking to my, my wife uh, who's also a therapist um you know, I was saying i think i love this book possibly more than my readers because i know everything in it So there is, for example, a monologue from Geraldo Rivera from the first season of Baywatch Nights, where he's not playing Geraldo Rivera, he's playing Alfred Romano, Alfred Martino, and it's this very dramatic performance, and he has like this, this this, this girlfriend who's like a stripper, and it, it, it's very, very I don't know. I, I feel like uh, I want to share this with the world. You know, I feel like I want to go door to door and tell people there's a show called Baywatch Nights. And in the second season, decided to do they decided to do Baywatch. They decided to do X Files. And they decided, again, that in this new incarnation of the show, everything was supernatural. And there were vampires, <laughs> and there were mummies, curses, and uh, undead,
0: frozen cavemen. Well, I think Baywatch. Yeah. I think Mummy Curse, like <laughs> yeah. absolutely straight up. What was the year of Baywatch <laughs> Night season two? Uh,
3: Baywatch. Uh, the first season was ninety-five to ninety-six, uh, and then the second okay. season was ninety-six to ninety-seven. And if you want, so, so we're getting of- into like, oh, we saw that Buffy
0: pulled off a thing.
3: What yeah, if well- we did that? Well, and also I think you know there was kind of a logic behind it, where the original Baywatch was an NBC show, and it was a flop, and it got canceled after one season. And they thought, well, what if we did the syndication?
0: Sorry, Baywatch Nights ran longer than Baywatch. No, no, no. Uh, oh, okay. okay. Baywatch,
3: Baywatch ran one season on NBC, so it ran one season on network television, and then every uh, subsequent season was in syndication, and that includes Baywatch Nights and Baywatch Hawaii. I feel like you tapped into
0: like what would eventually become like peacock plus level stuff that you're like, no one's going to show this on television, television, but you could pay money to see
1: uh,
3: Yellowstone. Well, (laughs) well, part of of what was kind of fascinating about doing this project was the sense of I'm the only person in the world right now who's immersed in the world of stripperella. Or I'm the only person in the world right now who is really, really, you know... Trying to understand Shasta McNasty on the granular level.
0: See, this is that thing that like, I don't think we've ever discussed, but like what I learned from having worshipped you for so long was this idea that like, I should pursue trash. And from like 2009 to 2013 (laughs) or 14, I, I wrote for sites that were the first sites to pay me, but I actively sought out the worst things I could do. And oftentimes they were things that were like, a whole season of a tv show which was an investment of 12 15 18 hours that i would get 50 dollars for at the end of the day and at some point within that i was like never again will i dedicate my time <laughs> to like a piece of shit pop culture thing and then we wrote a book together about it that took three years uh, about a video game and a movie that sucked uh, so like it, it would, felt would, like the I, natural I, conclusion I,
3: to that. I spent, I spent three years writing a book about how Postal doesn't actually suck uh, so I take I and again I think part of part of my literary career has been devoted to writing about how things that everybody thinks are terrible like Fish insane St. Clone Posse and the U.E. Bowl movie Postal are actually really cool and interesting and good um, and then yeah with, with, with Weird Al I kind of felt like well first he gave me an assignment of writing about his, uh, his life when he hired me to write his coffee table book. Uh, and then I kind of gave myself the assignment to writing about everything that he's done subsequently. So I feel like I either write about things that people think are terrible are actually good. Uh, why, read on the somebody who people respect and think is good is actually a genius and incredibly underappreciated uh, in his time. Uh, and then with this, I'm writing about how things that you think are terrible are actually even worse than you could possibly imagine, but that there is transcendence and there is joy and there is meaning to be found from immersing yourself into this world. Uh, and these I, people- I think it ties and, into
0: uh, like at the start of pandemic, Vivian and I had like a Trello board we'd put together of all the like art films and TV shows we'd never seen. And we are like, we, we, we wanted to get to these some days. And, and then like pandemic set in and we're like, oh, we're finally going to knock out all these classics. And then we watch two fucking years of like 90 Day Fiance <laughs> uh, and like all this fucking garbage because your frontal cortex can't process like subtitles. Uh, <laughs> like it reintroduced me to the joy of trash and, and what you can take away from it about the human experience. And so it's very fascinating for me um, to now reread a lot of these pieces that are now compiled in your book the joy of trash that people can buy from you now
3: uh no it is not quite available
0: uh god the, the thing about doing
3: a book independently uh like this one is when i when i maxed my first uh, three or four books were published by scribner uh, uh, and then abram's image are the people who did uh Great out the book and when you do a book with the most prestigious company in the world. Uh, you get four or five months to get everything into place you know to get uh-huh. interviews, uh, to get publicity, to get reviews, to get the world excited and knowledgeable about your book. When you do it the way that I'm doing it, you have between
0: four and five days right. <laughs> to do all the which is why our interview was difficult to pin down for this week because you were in the middle of editing. I am literally yeah, like out last, yeah, last, last I, night. I know you're trying to get off this call. Oh, no, can. no,
3: no, no, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I any opportunity to talk about my book, you know? And again, I kind of feel like it's a very bipolar type of thing, promoting a book, because you sort of oscillate between this is so good and it's so funny and this is what I have to offer the world. And like I've, I've had the thought over and over again, this has got to work. Like, this needs to be successful. I have nothing else. I won't get any more chances. And I know that's not true. I mean, I, I felt that way when The Big Rewind, my first book, came out in right. 2009. Uh, so like, I have one story. A huge success. <laughs> well, I it, yes and no. I mean, at uh, the time that it came out, I thought it was the biggest disaster in the history of the world. I remember asking my, my uh, editor, I said, so how many copies of uh, The Big Rewind uh, did you guys sell after all? And he said, well, probably three or four thousand copies or so which is pretty never ask numbers prizes. you know this oh, so, and, you know and this now like, I, had, I had no idea what that meant you know i just thought like oh i got a really nice chunk to change for it i'll sell 50 60, maybe a hundred. maybe i'll go platinum with my book you know uh so it's just a matter they,
0: of they like, did it at the uh, new york times last week a uh, a big story about how uh, social media followers don't translate into book sales because <laughs> yeah, uh, they were the like same. Billie Eilish's book only sold like 20,000 copies and she got paid several million up front. And they but were running down people yourself. that, like, yes, they were running down people with giant followings and, and the smaller <laughs> numbers. And the one that they landed on at the end was actually that Tucker Carlson with his a billion followers and nightly show uh his last book that was called something like why america has gone insane that came out a year and a half ago sold something like less than a thousand copies and i was like well done less than postal we've nailed it we (laughs) beat tucker and we don't have a tv show you and me nathan that's true that's true uh
3: but yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i remember talking to the editor and saying like yeah like three thousand four thousand dollars is actually pretty good like a lot of people don't sell a whole lot uh, for example, one of the authors that my uh, editor worked with, other than people like Pat Noswalt and Chuck Lostrum, was uh, Nitro from uh, American Gladiators, and Nitro wrote a really fascinating book. All, all Have you covered Nitro's book? A, I, he most assuredly wrote about Nitro's book for the so Little Joe's Book Club, and again, he wrote a really fascinating book about how he did so many fucking steroids when he was a letterman that his dick didn't work anymore. And they Who were just—I the so, mean, it was, games like, games? it was like it was like Happy a Cronenbergian body horror thing. Sure, that like, I awful. put all of these things into my body, and then I couldn't get a hard on, and I was crazy all the time, and and I'm like you're nitro and you've written an entire book about how your dick doesn't work because you did so much steroids. And it's like uh, Tucker Carlson. It apparently sold under a thousand copies. Uh,
0: so the, there's a couple here in the uh, the Joy of Trash, your book hmm. that you're selling, that is sort of a compendium of what you've been doing on the site, Lele, that I wanted to bring up because uh, in rereading it, they... Uh, triggered parts of my brain that I was like, oh, I remember the moment I was in, what I was smelling when I read this. And one of them is uh, The Way of the Shadow Wolves, The Deep State (laughs) and the Hijacking of America from 2017.
3: Can you tell us about that one? Sure, sure, sure. And I feel like one of the things that I kind of do with my website and my books is I take things that other people devote a hundred word uh, like link thing to. sure, And I spend... uh, a week immersing myself in this and I wrote a 5,000 word dissertation on it uh, so somewhere else I, I kind of noticed that or I, I discovered that Stephen uh, Seagal had entered the world of literature <laughs> with a guy named Tom Morrissey uh, the second most embarrassing Morrissey <laughs> he wrote a book called The Way of the Shadow Wolves and it is basically an alt-right QAnon thriller about a pair of shadow wolves who are these native americans who have magical powers because they're native american uh and also they're you know arch conservatives uh and they talk you know uh, witheringly
0: of if there's one thing i know about native populations it's how much they vote republicans of
3: course sure
0: they just love
3: love love it uh yeah it's just did you
0: tackle steven seagal's multi-season i was deputized as a cop reality show at any point i
3: did not but i had kind of a kind of a personal connection to a similar thing and uh, many many years ago i was asked if i wanted to fly to canada to do a basic cable panel show about television and they said also you don't technically it's not technically allowed to work here in Canada We don't have like the necessary permits, so just say that you're taking a meeting uh, and then by the time this all happens like nobody will know about it so I'm like sure that that sounds great <laughs> so I was flown up to to Canada uh, and put up in a hotel, and it was very, very surreal. And it was me and some, you know, other pop culture writer, Alison Rosen, probably the uh, most noteworthy oh, of those. It was neat to meet her there. It was very, very surreal. Yeah. And then there were a series of famous people. Uh, and I use the word famous people in quotations. Sure. Uh, people like, but Canada famous? <laughs> uh, Canada, fa- no, Jimmy Walker was in it. And Jimmy Walker was freaking fascinating. He was just telling story after story after story. And like, my my God, the man has led a really, really, really fascinating life. Uh, and then people kept trying to get him to say dynamite. And it was very interesting and kind of comedy tragic because he wouldn't. He's like, you, right. I'm not going to say that. Like I'm a I'm a human being with dignity. Don't make right. me say Den-o-mite! even though what people want is for me to say my. And then the I love that most, it's even
0: like a press panel and they're like, but like, you know drop your dignity like you're dogs. exactly, do, exactly. D- dance for me Papa. oh
3: my god I and mean, it was i mean it was a terrible terrible show part of it was like beach had to like riff on these various things and we had to like oh god this preparation and then it was the time like we cornered the producer like we didn't do any preparation we have no idea what we're talking about if you're like what what episode of Maddox was your favorite Oh, we were no. like uh was robert blake at that i'm not sure uh but the most intense part of it was that uh one of the one of the people on it was eric estrada and Er eric estrada went on a show called i think uh armed and famous uh and the idea was that random celebrities became police officers uh people like latoya jackson people like jack osborne and people like eric estrada and eric estrada got really 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 into being a police officer and he got got, like a full-time job as a police officer, not unlike Steven Seagal. And he's saying, yeah, you know, I was on a kiddie porn uh, brigade. I was like part of that division. And you know how these sickos are, you know, it's like you were me, we, you know, whack off to a playboy or something. But these these child molesters, they just, you know, they, and then he started to, to pantomime somebody trying to violate a child.
0: Right, of and course, and invading course. my
3: personal space and, and pretending that he was wearing a chape which was very, very strange. Uh, so now, whenever I see Eric Estrada in anything, uh, which is a lot because he's very, very ubiquitous, and if there's anything where you think Eric Estrada might be involved in this, he definitely is.
0: I I appreciate that everyone should really dive into your three decade career because, like, this is what your first year at the AV Club sounds like. And it is what your life continues to be is just like a, a mad lib of all the worst people in all the worst situations. And you, you just brought up Jack Osborne being a cop. Uh, within the book, you've uh, really divided some things. You've, you've taken some highlights and uh, within the film section of it, you've even divided it uh, into not even chapters on films. But even being like scene based where you're like, let's talk about the turtle club in Master of Disguise. We don't have time to get into that. (laughs) I do want to get into the one that I've wanted to ask you about for three years now, because I was a little bit upset when you did it, because I was a little bit upset that we platformed it in any way. But I was like, if there's one guy that deserves to do it, uh, and that is 2019's LaQuisha. Tell me about LaQuisha. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Again, I think this is kind of
3: like what makes my website, my poorly read, uh, not terribly monetized (laughs) website, valuable is, you know, because like people, you know, sort of their passing fancies become my deep-seated fascination. So in 2000... You sunk the time into it. I I just can't believe it. (laughs) I did. I did. So uh, I got my original piece on The Happy Place was about 5,000 words. Uh, And I managed to get it down to like 2,000 words in the book because there's, again, I could do a minute by minute podcast about Loquisha and never run out of terrible things to write. So basically in 2019, um, a trailer went viral in the worst possible way. And it was a trailer for a movie called Loquisha by a writer and director and star named uh, Savile. Uh, Jeremy Savile. And the premise for this was that a working class Joe, uh, a, a, an exemplar of, uh, of homespun wisdom, uh, he needs to pay for his uh, gifted son's uh, private school uh and the way to do that is to get a job uh, as a radio disc jockey but he can't get a job as a white man as a straight white man because in our society straight white men have no power whatsoever and they're denied opportunities at every turn is
0: very very sad so we say on this podcast it's two straight white men yeah (laughs) yes absolutely it's 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 science
3: yes who worships uh (laughs) this 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 bartender Uh, She kind of uh, convinces him to maybe try something a little more ambitious. So he goes on the airwaves as Loquisha, who is a sassy Black woman who is a a, a font of wisdom. Uh, And to give you a sense of of how sensitive this motion picture is, uh, Loquisha, I use in quotation marks, uh tells their the radio station that changes formats solely for the sake of loquisha solely because they believe so deeply in loquisha so he says i need hey, i just
0: love this moment where your your greatest outrage is the radio station changing format <laughs> like there's so many race issues but also like
3: oh don't well, me like, it. it's, it's, it's not 20, realistic 19. in it's the of the radio industry or anything <laughs> So Loquisha says, ooh, girl, you know, uh, Jennifer Hudson, uh, her family was brutally murdered. Uh, I have something like that in my family. So the only people who can be with me is my sidekick slash engineer, who is a black man. And he is a black man. So he can say things like, I'm the only thing that's more impressive to me than (laughs) your therapy techniques is your authenticity as a black woman. Uh, And it takes off and it becomes incredibly successful to the point where he's like, oh, I should, Find somebody who can do personal appearances Uh, as Loquisha. Since I can't show up as a white, a large white straight man without people being horrified and knowing that the gig is up, so he hires a black woman, uh, and she is an evil human being, and she disrespects the concept of Loquisha. And there is a there is a moment in this motion picture, the wonderfully wonderfully representative where she says to her listeners y'all are like uh the romans who crucified jesus and i'm like the lord on the cross oh and that's literally probably like the 14th most disturbing aspect of the movie loquisha
0: and then it was one of those where it was like the trailer came out and it was like people can buy tickets to this and it was like no one do that. No one gives no, us no, any no, no. attention. And it's I like, understand people like Nathan. This, we, Nathan yes. gets a pass because Nathan's going to write a thesis level essay about well, just not, how wrong this is. Not only
3: did I write about Loquisha, but I discovered that the man who wrote and directed Loquisha had made another movie called The Test that is as offensive, which is which is kind of incredible. So the premise for The Test is uh, jeremy savile plays a very wealthy man you know he's wealthy because in about half the scenes all the characters talk about his money and how much they like him having money and you know, like spending his money and how mean, there's not sports cars or like played. a fancy house
0: they're just talking, that he's they're just talking about they much, they're just talking about they're just talking about we all sure.
3: like money and that's important because this yes, guy has a lot of money as the
0: whites do so
3: yeah so his so he gets engaged to this woman who's ridiculously <laughs> out of his leg she's very very beautiful and nice and kind and for some reason likes a goober. So his buddies are like, yeah, you you know you're uh, dating the right person if you don't subject her to a series of psychotic, masochistic, and sadistic tests. So the first one is, you know, what if we hire a handsome actor to flirt with her? Like, will she want to go with the guy just because he's way more attractive and charming and not a complete sociopath? So she passes that... uh, Test and it keeps getting worse. And worse. first she's, she's uh, he's fired from his job under the uh, suspicions of uh, insider trading. She's like, I want to know that if I'm arrested and people think that I, and, and and fired, people like an insider trader, that you would still love me, you'd still want me. And he's like, Well, I, I guess so. Sure, why not? But that's still not enough. Have to get it oh, higher all of higher this higher. sounds
0: like somebody that actually just fucked up their life and is trying to frame it somewhere like, Oh, I've been convicted of murder. Well, this is actually a test for my let Exactly. Let's it was all see if she's giant, there.
3: giant test. And then at one point he pretends that he has brain damage. He pretends that he is a brain damaged man child who will never be able to uh, like remember this woman who was his whole life, and she passes every test, and then eventually she discovers. Uh, that he's a sociopath and she tells him, you know, we're, we're through. Uh, but then with, with both that and, and LaQuisha, they have happy endings. And uh, which characters who have learned nothing, who illustrate no growth, who are appalling at every level whatsoever, are rewarded for being horrible people by getting to have sex and be in relationships with beautiful women. And one of the things I tried to do with this book was kind of have twins for everything, uh so I have two Jeremy Savile books. Uh 9-11 is of course reflected through um the turtle scene in uh Master of Disguise, which rumor has it that it was filmed on 9-11. Not true. It was the first scene filmed after 9-11. Uh so yeah,
0: I kind somehow of somehow
3: worse. I it somehow is worse. And I remember, like, yeah, I remember I'm like having like a prayer. Uh, they start off with like, here we are, we're trying to practice our artistry, we're trying to breathe life uh, and humor into this tableau involving this turtle club scenario. Uh, and then the other is uh, Emerald's sitcom, uh, which similarly uh, sort of the conventional wisdom is that the reason why the sitcom in which Emerald Lagasse played a ridiculously uh, idealized romanticized version of Emeril Lagasse was not successful uh, was because it aired in the aftermath of 9-11. Not because that was literally the single stupidest idea in human history uh, for Emeril Legacy to have his own sitcom. Nathan,
0: where can people support your work?
3: Uh, well, you can purchase my book uh, from me on my website, uh, NathanRaven.com. Uh, slash shop, uh, and then you can also purchase it from Amazon. Uh, and then I also have a Patreon uh, for my website, which is patreon.com slash Happy Place. And then I have a podcast that you have been on, uh, where me and my co-host uh, Clint Worthington uh, go through every single film that Nicholas Cage and John Travolta have made uh, to determine which actor is better. And I think it probably took about eight weeks. We're like, oh my god, Nicolas Cage a million times with Nicolas Cage. Nicholas Cage is fucking amazing, and uh, John Travolta is uh John Travolta. I love the yeah, man. but you Nicolas didn't stop at eight weeks because it's been
0: going for years now, it's been so going like... on for
3: years, and the thing is, like, I'm I'm we're reaching near the end of the John Travolta part, and yeah. I'm legitimately sad, like I'm legitimately mel- and I'm I'm amazed, even like as somebody who has devoted his entire career to bad things. I'm amazed by the sheer awfulness of John Travolta's career, and I just watched "Be Cool." Uh, his oh boy,
0: uh, oh boy, um, uh, his sequel to that's not a uh, good note to Party, go out on.
3: Uh, and "Lonely Hearts," and again, even knowing that these movies were bad, like I was disheartened. <laughs> I was dissolute, like, like I, I could feel my soul dying with each other. and again. I love terrible things. I chose to watch every episode of Shasta McNasty. I legitimately love uh, the first season of Baywatch Nights, and I found myself being defeated uh, by the by by the, the task of watching every single John Travolta movie And and, and too, I mean, like Nicholas Cage has had this amazing comeback you know in the last 10 years or so and with john travolta it's just notable how egregiously awful his films are like in 2018 he did gaudi and the fanatic in the same year and that's kind of a sort of to that's kind of like that's a shitty miracle to make two movies that have no business being made, that, that could not be more spectacularly misguided, that could not have gotten a worse response, that could not have found you with a more ridiculous hairstyle. Like, it, it's kind of magical, that's kind of miraculous that he was able to make two, like, transcendently terrible, and again, it's, it's a testament of how bad his films are, I continually find myself missing Battlefield Earth. And I like, I would rather watch Battle of Earth 10 times than be cool again. Because Battle it's, Earth has. It's
0: so the fun. right place for us to end because the only time I've met our editor, Terrence, in person, we watched The Fanatic and yeah. then we both punched a wall together. And that yeah. was the end of us hanging out uh, for several years. So um, perfect. I'm so glad that people can support your work. Uh, they can buy all your stuff on Amazon. They can support you at NathanRabin.com and via the Patreon. Last shot. That's all
3: good. Buy from me. Buy from me, damn it. Because, uh, yeah, I have I'm in the, the awesome. unfortunate business of being a dependent upon uh, the richest man in the world and the most evil corporation in the world. Uh, so, again, buy my stuff from me who's less evil than Jeff Bezos. Not as good of a uh, businessman and also
0: not quite as wealthy. As good as you can do. Say hi to the kids and the wife for me. Will do, will do. Thank you for having me on. And that's been the Streetwise Podcast. I was Brock Wilbur, the editor in chief of the pitch and the host of this show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take care of each other out there. Have a happy, happy holiday season. Uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks. Um, the website is going dark. This podcast is going dark. The newsletter will not be there. We are taking some time for some self care to come back at the start of January. Better than ever before, we have been through a time through a change of ownership, through a very skeleton crew running everything, um, through just unimaginable odds. So, if you ever want to become a member to support what we are doing, you can do so on the website, we would appreciate it. Um, in 2022, we are coming back with a stronger newsroom, we are coming back with so many cool member rewards. we would just like to have you be a part of that. And even if you don't have a buck to spare, just check out The Pitch KC every once in a while. We're doing cool, important work there, and we would love to have you tag along. Pitch in, and we'll make it through. Bye, bye, ba. bye, bye, bye.